Uh, welcome to the very first full episode of In the Guide and of Geekdom. My name is Janice Hawkins. And I'm Deanna Chapman. And we are going to talk about some anime. Yep, we sure are. I don't know how you roped me into this one, but here we are. <laughs> I don't either, but I'm happy every time. The answer is I do not know how to say no to podcasts. <laughs> what did we watch this time, Deanna? We watched the first episode of Keep Your Hands Off Azalkin and Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. There's too many of those in that movie title. Yeah, it's a really interesting title. I always thought it was Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind, and I realized watching it this time, even though I've seen it before, that her name is Nausicaa. That's not the valley's name. <laughs> yeah, I wanted the title of this to be Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind. Mm-hmm. That also makes sense to me. Because she is in the Valley of the Wind, but she is also of the Valley of the Wind because she is a princess, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Words are confusing. And we're in the Garden of Geekdom, not of the Garden of Geekdom. Words. They're hard. They are hard. So as a reminder to everyone, we are watching one episode of the show, each episode of this show, and then doing an accompanying thing. And I'm asking you to pay attention to specific things as you watch the movie or other piece of media. Uh, what was the homework this time, Deanna? So the homework this time was to focus on the backgrounds, the world building, and the different concepts that are used. So first, should we recap the episode and talk about those concepts? Yeah, so great idea. In the first episode of Keep Your Hands Off, Aizouken, uh, we start with uh, a girl named Asakusa is what her friend Kanamori calls her, but I think later on mostly people refer to her as Midori, so whichever name, I'll probably use them interchangeably. The show starts when Midori is a little child and she's moving to this new town and she wants to get out and explore and look at everything, but her mom needs to go do stuff and it's a rainy day, so she's like, stay home, just watch something on TV, keep your brother out of trouble. Um, and she turns on the TV and watches an anime that in the show, for copyright reasons, they call <laughs> Kunaso of the Lost Island. And as she's watching it, she says that that was the first time that I realized that someone I had made the anime I watched. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, she was just obsessed with anime. Jumped to school many, many years later, and she's hanging out with her friend Kanamori and convinces her to go to an anime club screening. And it turns out that what they're watching is something about Kanaso of the Lost Island when another girl, Mizusaki, sneaks in. But then this guy starts chasing her out of the theater and she steals Midori's hat to try and like get away. And uh, he gets her, uh, so Midori and Kanamori come to her rescue. And they end up escaping, but they like spilled milk, no one cried over it. <laughs> They went to a laundromat and you can tell like right away that Mizusaki is like super rich because she doesn't yeah. understand that she can't use a credit card in a washing machine and she's like looking in people's homes because she doesn't understand that people live there. <laughs> so it's a completely different side of town than she's used to. Yeah. But as they wait for the clothes to wash, they bond over their shared love of animation. Midori has a sketchbook full of concept art and image boards. And Mizusaki has a lot of figure drawing. So they find a window and they start overlaying their stuff and they realize that they could make their own animation. And Kanamori is like their business sense friend who just <laughs> thinks about that dollar all the time. And so she starts getting some plots and some ideas in her head. Look, Janice, you need that person. You really need that person. That person does not exist in my brain. <laughs> I think that person exclusively exists in your brain. 
or at least halfway. Sure, let's go with that. (laughs) (laughs) Then uh, they all start playing pretend that they're flying in one of the little craft. It looks like a big old dragonfly. And they explore a pretend world of imagination. And then by the end of it, they have fun and they become friends. Yay. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And Janice, you know this, but the listeners don't. I have probably 20 books, at least, on like the art of and making of certain movies. Most of them are Star Wars, but some of them are Pixar and Marvel. And I have a book on the making of Alien and a couple other things. And I love stuff like this. It's so fun for me to see how other people make things. And it's probably why I like Stephen King's on writing book so much too, which I have to reread soon. So I've been thinking about it lately, because I have read it, but it just goes through his entire process. And when you have stuff like I guess more so the Pixar ones specifically and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse in my case. And just getting to see the concept art and what they do with animation is wild, especially because Pixar tries to do something new with every movie. And they've been doing that since Toy Story came out. It's hard to do. (laughs) It is hard to do. That's cool. For the listeners also, I could say that uh, as you were watching Nausicaa, you sent me a message that was like, don't let me buy an art (laughs) book for this movie. And so, honestly, it would fit the theme of this, though, so maybe you should. I do have shelf space because you told me to rearrange my books. (laughs) This is all your fault, Janice. Oh, I made a mistake. Uh, It's excellent. So what did you think of the first episode? I think it's a great topic to start with because if you don't have a world, you don't have a story. Great point. And it's very meta because... The episode has to do world building while they're talking about world building. Yeah, I love that you bring that up because so when they're watching in the theater, uh, Kanamori looks to Midori and she was like, I don't even get like what's interesting about this. And uh, Midori goes on this huge like thing about like, well, look how this shot is framed and that really sets the motion. And then they have the debris flying. The debris flying is how you can get a sense of like, there's air moving around and then they have this crossover shot with a sense of scale and kind of where it's like, okay, okay, shut up. But then later when they're flying their imagination dragonfly, all those same things come back. They have to push something. And so they're like acting like they're pushing it really hard to establish that there's a lot of resistance and then they get it flowing and they uh, have to use themselves as counterweights and there's all this debris flying and everything. And so like it literally mirrored the part in the beginning, like, in setting up the world that they're building in their imagination game. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. You should get excited about that. I love this thing so much. So I've only watched this first episode. Good. And I'm really excited to watch the rest because I feel like if you're going to recommend something to me, as far as like anime stuff goes, this was like a very good recommendation. It is a perfect anime, I think. I'm excited to see. I think I was really cruel to you, too, because you watched the first episode a while back, and then I was like, you're not allowed to watch any more episodes. Yeah. (laughs) I've been banned. I have to watch them as we do the episodes. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Just like everybody else. You're going to be like them. Janice, I think I watched the first episode like two months ago. Yeah. All five people who listen to us are going to be in the same boat as you. Don't worry. (laughs) Shout out to you five. No. Um... The accompanying piece of media I chose for this 
was Nausicaa for a lot of specific reasons. And one of them is that... Because I did not like Dune. Yeah, the specific reason was because you didn't like Dune and I didn't like Dune very much. And I was like, you know what's better than Dune? You know what has big bugs in the sand? I got you. I can hear so many of our friends <laughs> screaming at us right now. All five people. <laughs> All five of them. Mm-hmm. So the Konasu of the Lost Island is a direct rip of Future Boy Conan, which is a show that was directed by a pretty, at the time, not super known animator named uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Have you heard of him? I think so. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. So Sounds um, familiar. He started off his career as an animator. Most of the things that he like actually got to direct early on uh, were the 70s Lupin... Lupin the Third Part One series and uh, Future Boy Conan and Future Boy Conan like in Izuken they are like scene for scene just like reanimating that show okay. as they talk about what got her into anime. So Miyazaki's work there is what inspired her to want to do animation. Got it. So we came all the way around. On both those TV shows, he worked with a guy named Isao Takahata, who uh, was often co-director and storyboard developer with him. That'll matter later. Then Miyazaki made his first feature film. It was Lupin III, The Castle of Cagliostro. Most of the things he had done had manga adaptations before he did the movies of them. And so he was like directing things that would be successful. And he wanted to adapt some other things into movies, but uh, his publisher at the time wasn't comfortable with him doing that because he was like, who are you? (laughs) So he was like, make a manga. If it's good, you can direct the film. We'll go from there. So he actually wrote the manga for Nausicaa Valley of the Wind based on all the concepts that he had created. He had like all these books of like concepts and ideas and he formulated it into this manga that eventually like got so popular that they're like, yeah, you can make a movie about that. Right. And his good friend Takahata joined the project as a executive producer. Uh, the two of them, along with some other people, ended up creating Studio Ghibli together. I'm learning so many things right now, Janice. Yeah, I know. I, this one's jam-packed with fun facts. <laughs> There's way less fun facts later on, but this one's got a lot. Other notable people who worked on it, uh, the score is by a guy named... Joe Hisaishi. Uh, and it's really cool. He has two leitmotifs. Uh, he has like orchestral music for when they're looking in the valleys. And he's got like this fun 80s synthy thing that he does when they're in the like forest. And uh, they hired animators for like a dollar per frame to make this thing. And one of the animators who was like hand selected to do this was Hideaki Ano, who later on went to found Gainax and made the anime that our friend Mitchell loves more than anything in this world, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I'll pretend I know what all of those things are. Okay. Maybe one day we'll watch Evangelion. We'll see. I don't know what any of them are. I've never seen it, uh, much to his chagrin, but it's like a bit at this point. This thing inspired a lot of people. In Final Fantasy video games, there are chocobos. Those are based off of the bird things that are called horse claws in this movie. Um... As you noted, and other people have said, it's anime's answer to Dune. (laughs) And um, a lot of people, when The Force Awakens came out, compared Nausicaa to Rey, because a lot of their, like, beginning stuff is... I could see that. Diving in old sites, digging up junk, and (laughs) doing weird shit with it. 
<laughs> so that is all the background behind the making of this thing. We should talk about the plot of the movie. We should, because while this is kind of like Dune, it's more entertaining from the start, <laughs> at least. Look, Dune was not the movie for me. Mm-hmm. It looks fantastic. Very well made. I started to fall asleep during it. Very relaxing movie, Dune, I always say. <laughs> I am not someone who falls asleep during movies, Janice. And I was like, I am going to take a nap. I don't even nap. What is this? Wow, it made you a different person. That spice hit just right. And then I finished it and then I was like, right now I'm not going to sleep. Oh, no. That's so funny. Because that is how those things happen. But this one, war and pollution. Great things, obviously, that happen to this place. And you have very different landscapes in this, which I found enjoyable because you have the jungle, which is like filled with poisonous soil and you have all of these insects that are trying to protect it because the insects are like, humans are dumb. Can you stop ruining everything for us? Yeah. I'm super good at summarizing things. No, you were super great. It reminds me when you called it a jungle, it dawned on me. Did you listen to or did you watch it with subtitles or with as dubbed? I hit play and it was dubbed. So I just left it that way. Okay. You know how I know this is so interesting is because uh, in the dub, I think it's called like the toxic jungle or something like that, right? Yes. Is that not what it is? No. Well, I mean, it, 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 it's one of the ways that people talk about it. I don't know if it's the right one. Um, it's called the <laughs> Sea of Decay in the subtitled version, which is why I have Sea of Decay in like parentheses all over my notes. Okay. Which is fine. So you can call it the Toxic Jungle. I'll call it the Sea of Decay. <laughs> but to people who are listening, just so you know, depending on what version you like read or listened to, we, we are talking about the same thing. I almost thought about texting you and being like, Janice, do I need to watch this a certain way? Nope. Because I think everything on HBO Max is automatically dubbed. It defaults to dubbed and you have to go out of your way to get the subtitled version. Okay. When Lord Yupa talked for the first time, he said something in English and I was like, oh, I'm like two minutes in and I need to go back and fix this. Yeah, it takes a while for anyone to say anything. Mm -hmm. So at first I was like, okay, how is this going to be in English? (laughs) Like, I didn't know what was happening at first. And then I was like, oh, okay. And I noticed, too, that there's two English voice casts for this. So there was was one when it originally came out or shortly after it came out. And then in 2005, there's a Disney version, which I think is the one that was on HBO Max. Yes. And that's actually a really important point. Um, This was his first movie, Miyazaki's, and it was his first movie that got adapted. And so they adapted it the first time for the American audience and cut a lot of scenes, changed kind of the meaning of a lot of stuff. And the themes ended up not really being the same. And so it was called like Warriors of the Wind or something. And Mm. Miyazaki like made a rule after that, that like if anyone wanted to adapt his works, they were not allowed to basically touch it. It had to be faithful. He like sent a katana to somebody when they wanted to do (laughs) a different movie. And like the note with the katana was just no cuts. (laughs) So the Disney version is a redone version of the movie where they did shot for shot, word for word translation. Okay. So it's the same animation as the original then? Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. So it was just literally the language difference and the translation difference for us. Yeah, because 
I was watching it and I was like, some of these voices sound really familiar. <laughs> yeah. Well, now Miyazaki stuff is so big that like they get like such big celebrities to voice. Like Howl is Christian Bale. And like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that, but I did notice that when I was looking stuff up. The price of being famous is that you can get whoever you want on this. So my general opinion is a lot of people take strong sides in the subbed versus dubbed war, quote unquote. I don't care. Okay. Watch whatever makes you watch more. As long as you're enjoying and consuming media, who cares? Um, There are times where I have a preference personally, but it doesn't matter. I've noticed with some things, they aren't as well done when they are dubbed. And it's like the tone of the voice is not matching the body language of the person. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm just like, I cannot do this. I forget what I was watching. I think I was watching Dark on Netflix, which I still haven't finished, but it's a German show, I believe. And the dub was just, I could not with it. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, now I have to set aside extra time because now I have to read the entire thing. And I still have like over 10 hours left of it to watch because it's like three seasons. So it's a lot. It's a lot. That is a lot. I'm bad at not multitasking when I watch stuff. So we'll see how this goes for me. And then if it's got subtitles, then it would be even harder because then you just look down for a second and you've missed what's gone by. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So for the most part, when it comes to animated stuff, especially if it's like a Ghibli movie, I think the translations in the dub versions are pretty fine. Uh, I would, there's a studio called Four Kids that did like Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff. And uh, not only do they edit out, like, a lot of the content, they'll, like, have people, or, like, I think Pokemon was them for a while. Mostly kid stuff, where, like, they'll be, like, eating rice with, like, chopsticks, and they'll be like, wow, this hot dog is delicious. <laughs> or, like, uh, in Yu-Gi-Oh, it's really funny, because, like, they clearly had guns in the Japanese version, and they'd be, like, pointing guns at people and, like, shooting them, but they can't do that in an American audience, I guess, for kids. So they'd be like pointing instead. And it's like, it's strongly implied that I'm holding a gun at you. That's so bad. (laughs) Yeah, it's so those are the times where I think it really matters. But otherwise, eh, whatever. I'll let you know if we ever watch something. There's a difference. The more you know. Yeah. In this movie, like you said, the there was a really big war that took place and a lot of people killed each other. They had these like giant warrior machines and the world basically through the actions of war and pollution by humans is now covered in a huge desert that turns into a toxic jungle sea of decay. <laughs> yes. With a forest full of angry bugs. There's a prophecy of a robed warrior in blue who's going to descend on golden fields and solve all the world's problems. And Nausicaa, we find out later, is that girl. What did you think of Nausicaa as like a character? I thought she was great because I know you compared her to Rey earlier, said that's what people, who people compare her to. But in a way, she's kind of more like Princess Leia because they're both princesses who don't really act like princesses (laughs) and just do what they want. And usually people are better off for it. That's a great point. Yeah, (laughs) she's got that, like, I'm just going to save everybody. I can do this kind of mentality. Yeah, I get the Rey comparison from uh, being on my own standpoint, because Leia was never really just, like, on her own. Mm -hmm. She always had family and people around her helping her. And Nausicaa technically does, too, because you have all of the other characters who help, especially Mito, who is great. 
Yeah. Great character. I like him. Too. <laughs> I'm a fan of him. And you have Tito. Yeah. Teto. Uh, the, Teto. The squirrel Sorry. fox. It's fine. I only know how to say Teto's name like super well because my friend Ren named her orange cat Teto. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. They kind of act the same I don't same get along way. with cats, Janice. You know this. I know so many cats. I know more than I need to know. <laughs> uh, Teto falls under uh, like the category of uh, the trope that happens in a lot of animated stuff where uh, all animals are dogs. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so is just like a vicious little animal that is also a perfect dog. I'm fine with that. But yeah, she, between that little thing and all the other animals and insects she comes across, she has that Disney princess power of everything loves her. That Snow White energy. She's a creature whisperer. Yeah, for sure. And all of that magic and all that happiness is destroyed when a plane shows up carrying a big old monster embryo. <laughs> And a kidnapped princess. Because that's not a weird combination at all. Yeah, you know, that's like a Friday night for me. Janice and I have very different Friday nights. Yeah. There's a princess on that ship who dies, and then the next day more planes show up full of the Tolmechians who have come led by Princess Kashana to take the big war embryo back and try and wage war on the toxic jungle sea of decay. Fun stuff. Super fun. Yeah, the most fun. No one really thinks anything about it at that time, other than, like, sounds like a bad idea, other than, like, the old grandma-type witch lady, yeah. Obaba. <laughs> also great. Yeah, she's the best. So then they kidnap the princess, they go to take her away, and they kidnap Princess Nausicaa and go to take her away. Yes, there's too many princesses in this. This is what we have learned, and... It's easier to just not call them princesses at all, because honestly, none of them act like princesses. But what does it mean to act like a princess? You know, Miyazaki's pushing that envelope of, like, the feminist agenda. Like, this is what a princess is. That's fair. Like. These aren't Disney movies. Technically, it, it was. <laughs> Later on, yeah, kind of, sort of, yeah. <laughs> princess Kashana kidnaps Princess Nausicaa, and they are going back to her land when Prince Asbel... <laughs> Who is the twin brother of Princess Lestelle, who has died? It's funny, because I don't remember them ever calling him a prince. They don't call him a prince, but his sister was a princess, so I just assumed that he's the prince, right? No, I get that, yeah. but it's just weird that they just, like, did not care about him to give him that title. Well, all he thinks about is killing for a long time, so... He's not dignified enough, maybe. And then all he thinks about is Nausicaa, so... Which, can you blame him if you met a girl who was perfect at everything? Like, I have that, like, Finn syndrome or that Han Solo syndrome. Just be like, oh, hey, what's up? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. All right. He does. He does. He shows up. He shoots the plane down. Um, she's able to save them. They find out together that underneath all of the toxic jungle stuff is a hidden realm where the world is healing itself and the bugs like you said are just protecting all that yeah because it's like the bugs all knew that was there yeah and the people didn't and they wanted to keep the people away from it and it's just by chance that the two of them fall through the quicksand and find themselves there and the fact that nausicaa was trying so hard to find solutions because there's a moment in the movie where She's off by herself and she's surrounded by like all these plants and she has found a way to make it so that they aren't toxic. These are mm -hmm. the same toxic plants 
that everyone knows about. And she's like, no, it's fine. I got the water from deep underground. Yeah, deep underground. So it's like she was getting so close to figuring it out herself Mm -hmm. and then just stumbled upon this and was like, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) All of my suspicions confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. I really love she like just gets so overwhelmed with joy that she lays face down in the like new sand pile <laughs> in crying. And he's just like, um, are you good, Nausicaa? And she's just like, yeah, I'm so happy. <laughs> it's very cute. Yeah. At first I was like, is she even awake? Did she just like fall asleep? On yeah. The it's a weird Which experience. She had been through a lot. I wouldn't blame her. <laughs> the other day I was laying face down in the office. I understand for very different reasons. Very different reasons, I hope. Very different reasons. I was not excited about plants and water. But <laughs> Maybe you need some plants and water so you can lay face down on the floor for those reasons too. Pass. Okay. So let's skip ahead a little bit. She meets some other people she meets some other people she meets some other people his people uh have been using the bugs like dropping them in situations so that these big huge mega bugs called ohms will come in and just destroy their enemies um and it turns out that they're like kidnapped baby ones to make them fly into a rage to do that and that they're gonna do that to her hometown, her village so she gets upset as you would a bunch of women help her escape she goes to try and stop everything bad from happening. She sees the little bug, the little sad ohm, and it's got all these spears in it and it's hurt. And she's like wearing this like red dress and it's bleeding and she tries to stop it from like going into an acid lake and its blood gets all over her. So then her dress magically turns blue. Wild. And see, she's suddenly robed in blue clothes (laughs) for no plot based reason whatsoever. (laughs) Legend? What's that? Yeah. (laughs) And then they get to fly in in front of the stampede. All these thousands and thousands and thousands of angry ohms just plow right through them. You think they're going to stop and they're like, too angry to stop. They got some rage. They got some rage. They've got a lot of rage. They have so much rage. (laughs) It really is a lot because their eyes literally change colors. So normally they're like, this bluish gray and then they just get brighter and brighter red the angrier they get which is visually great though it's visually great and it's really handy if you have like an animal that will leave you alone unless because then if you can see that unless yeah you know to leave yeah (laughs) run yeah which is how the movie starts pretty much exactly that's a great point yeah it kind of comes full circle yeah Janice, I also just want to say I really want that glider. That glider is so cool. Do you know how to glide? No. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. Step one, step two. Somebody made one in real life uh, and it took a couple prototypes, but they did it. That's amazing. So you could hypothetically. That would be a lot of money, Janice. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> All right. Maybe not. Maybe not. I think I have my limits. I bought a lightsaber. That's That's good for now. That is pretty good. She over and over uses her like compassion and like I don't want to kill people I want to protect people mentality to change the minds of other people and this kind of happens too they basically all those ohms kill her um they mow her down in the prime of her life but thankfully magic exists thankfully so but Janice you you say that and she definitely killed like five people <laughs> in the movie. She did kill five people when they killed her dad. That is, uh, she hulked out. So she was like the Ohms. She raged. Yes. 
There are so many parallels in this. And then Lord Yuta jumped in and took the hit, and she was able to calm down. Oh my god, genius. (laughs) I didn't know what to expect going into this, Mm -hmm. because you haven't really told me anything (laughs) about the movies and other additional media that we'll be watching for this. Uh So I have no idea what most of these are about. So I just went into this and I was like, this is a movie description. (laughs) I had no idea what to expect. And then I was watching it and I was like, oh, it's Dune, but make it anime. Dune, but make it anime. I like it. (laughs) And less desert. That's really interesting. You'll have to let me know if you would prefer to know a little bit more about it going into it. Okay. You want to keep in the dark? (laughs) Yeah. It's great. (laughs) Okay, cool. I don't know if it'll continue being great. (laughs) We'll see how you feel after Akira. So... Yeah, all the ohms chill out when they see that they killed her. They raise her up on their weird tendrils. It's a golden field that she descends on, and she comes back to life, and everything is magical after that. The the earth begins to heal. It does. Obviously, themes in this are war is bad and pro-environmentalism, which will come up over and over and over again with Miyazaki. That's not surprising. It's like he has an opinion on something, and he really wants to drive it home. Oh, no. People have opinions? How dare they? (laughs) Never me. I've never had an opinion. Me either. So, Deanna, that brings us to uh, what I would like to happily announce is our first bit of the series. (laughs) No one else can see, but I can see you, and I can see your eyes slightly bulge at me at the thing. This one is called The uh, Toast of Tardiness, Uh, and it's where we're going to talk about common genre tropes in the media that happened in this, because it's so old, it gets to start some tropes Okay, that will show up a lot later in other things. Do you know what the Toast of Tardiness is a reference to? I have absolutely no idea, and this is only like the third anime thing I've watched, uh-huh. so I don't, I don't know the tropes, Janice. Please enlighten me. So uh, in anime, when there's like a high schooler or something, or like sometimes even an adult, they will wake up oversleeping one morning or every morning and they won't have time for a proper breakfast so they will just warm up a piece of toast put it in their mouth and run to school so a common anime trip is people running to class late with toast in their mouth and it's been done over and over homages parodies made fun of brought back to serious again and so in this piece of media a reoccurring trope for miyazaki movies is called cool plane miyazaki loves planes I could understand that from this movie, yeah. Every single movie he has, more or less, I think there might be like a couple exceptions, has like a pilot or like eight different cool planes. Everyone's flying through the air. He loves planes. He really liked planes in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This isn't even the most PPM planes per movie in his movies. (laughs) Okay. PPM, that's great. PPM, yeah. We'll count the planes per movie if we watch another Miyazaki one. I think we're going to do The Wind Rises, which would have a lot of PPM. Things with wind in the name. Lots of PPM. Oh, yeah. Wind. Wind again. Another trope that is in this is the barehanded blade block, which, as you recall, we brought up when Nausicaa hulks out and kills those dudes. Lord Yupa just blocks with his arm. So she literally stabs him through like armor into his arm. It doesn't come out the other side. He does bleed. He does. Yeah. And then he's just like, all right, let's go. Yeah, he's just chill about it. And <laughs> it's then fine. he moves on with his life. It didn't sever the bone. It can cut through armor, but it didn't 
cut through him. Um, so the concept in a lot of anime is that you can block a blade, like a katana, with just your hands. Uh, if you clap fast enough or if you block, you can't get hurt if you block. I've seen that before. Yeah. Not necessarily in anime, but just in other action movies in general. It's, it's a thing. People love to <laughs> block a blade. Movies don't need to be realistic, Janice. No, they really don't. And then another one I'll talk about is filming for an easy dub. You'll notice a lot of the animation in it, they are wearing masks or they yes. have big old mustaches. Or both. Or both. Um, and that is so that when they translate it to a bunch of different languages, they don't really have to change the mouths or worry about the timing so much. I did notice that. That's why I was confused a little at first, because I was like, did that line up? Like, was that in English? <laughs> yeah, it's a way of getting around that. And uh, they use it in this one a lot. And so, and a bit, dun, 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 dun. I don't know. <laughs> That's our patented end of bit song. I'm just going to clip that, save it for later. <laughs> Perfect. So now that we've talked about the two just like plot things way too much, I wanted to compare the two and talk about how like that media related to this. So what do you think? So with the first episode of the show, they go through, you know, building the world and the figures and the ship, which obviously with all the planes in this mm -hmm. correlates very well. And I mentioned the different landscapes earlier in this. And when I first saw the Valley of the Wind, I was like, oh, this looks like something that would be in a Zelda game. Oh, yeah. And that's all I kept thinking about <laughs> every time I would see it. And obviously, Zelda is not an American game. So that makes sense. And I think they did a really nice job of separating the two places while still having them be connected in a way and there was that moment where the wind stopped and everyone was like what is this what's going on like it was like their whole world had been changed yeah. <laughs> because there was no wind and when you watch the episode of the show it's like their whole world is changed because they met each other oh yeah and are starting to work on this world building thing together mm -hmm. yeah i like that a lot I really like in the episode of Aizouken, what they do is very similar to in Nausicaa, where they'll like, I know that the concept of show don't tell comes up a lot, but yes. they don't like explain a lot of what the world is like. They don't explain a lot. Like they'll do whatever minimal that they have to, mm -hmm. to get the meaning across. But rather than like tell you how the town is laid out. Or, like, one of the notable scenes in Aizouken is, like, the, like, guy trying to take Mizusaki back to her parents, where they go to, like, a theater stage. Kanamori and Midori are just, like, behind shelves looking around, noticing all the, like, drop points in the, the stage yeah. theater thing. And then they're just using the background to navigate and trap the guy without uh -huh. ever having said like, oh, I bet one of these things does this or any of that. They just kind of like establish it or they'll like take Mizusaki through the poor part of town and they're not like, we're in the poor part of town. They're like <laughs> just taking her there and she's like, wow, th like I, this is different. Um, and the same thing kind of happens in Nausicaa. Like we're in those first few moments of the movie. You just see a guy on some bird things going through a spore place and he picks up a doll and it disintegrates and so you're like oh this is like poison and stuff like that 
And so it does a lot of like establishing how the look and feel of the world is without ever having to tell you what's going on. Yeah, that's always great because I don't love it when shows and movies are just like, here is what is happening. It's kind of like reading older comics for me. Like Stan Lee told you everything that was happening on the page. And I was like, Stan, the art is right there. <laughs> we can see this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Believe that we're smart enough. It was a bit much. I get it because like comics were so new at the time. Mm -hmm. You don't know how people are going to react to those things. Because before that, you had like very, very short comics in the paper. And that was it. Yeah. And so with comics back then, they are way, way wordier than they are now. There are some that are still wordy now, but usually it serves like a narrative purpose, like someone is telling an actual story. Mm -hmm. So you can't just leave out parts of the story. Yeah. They're like relaying events or something. But I have noticed that like because I started reading Spider-Man from amazing fantasy 15 and then i started with the first issue of the amazing spider-man mm -hmm. i made it like i want to say like 55 or 58 issues in or something like that maybe into the 60s and i was just like this is exhausting <laughs> and i am a person who reads stephen king books that are over a thousand pages long yeah it's not that I can't read the words. It's just that they're not necessary. It's like when I read the Tommyknockers and I was like, no, I don't need half of these words. We should do a Tommyknockers count where we count how many times you knock Tommyknockers. We're at one. Yeah, we're at number one. We'll get see how far we get. Not counting all the other times I've done it on other podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. We're at one. It's fine. It won't come up all the time. I hope but it does. I hope we can work it out. <laughs> I'll keep a tally here. Perfect. No, but I totally understand because, like, I am reading Jujutsu Kaisen, or I recently read Jujutsu Kaisen, the the manga, um, okay. not just the show, and uh, they do the opposite a lot of the time, where they are showing more than telling a lot, mm -hmm. and I will like be speed reading it. And I'll realize that, like, I wasn't paying attention to something important that was in the background or something that they touched. And mm. I'll have to, like, go back and be like, okay, let's pay attention this time, Jess. Yeah, you have to find that balance. And I think both the show does that and the movie. Because, yeah, stuff's happening in the background in this movie, but not a lot because they spend so much time up in the clouds mm -hmm. or in the jungle. So they do point some stuff out every now and then. Like, Nausicaa at one point points out that the insects are starting to like congregate together oh okay yeah they're like she's like they're angry that's not the word she uses at all they're swarming maybe yes there we go <laughs> the brain has possibly stopped working we're almost done but she points out that the insects are swarming and you have this moment where she says that and then it pans up and you see it so they tell you before they show you but it's because she's telling a character not us yeah I agree with that. So you have to find that balance. And I think this does that. And I didn't really have a problem with the runtime. Two hours was a little long, but I didn't really feel it. That's good. I think because it was my second time watching it in the last two years. Okay. It was fresher in my memory. So I wasn't like feeling like I needed all the stuff that I, I think it flew by the first time I saw it. But also like it's an adaptation of a couple books. He had to cut so much to get this down. That's another thing where I think Dune syndrome, adaptation syndrome 
comes up where it's hard to take a big piece of media and pull it into a tight two. Mm-hmm. But I think he did a pretty good job. I mean, we just watched the Batman together, which was three hours. Yeah. I don't know if you could cut like any of that so and still have it be the same thing. Yeah. So it just depends. Because that also didn't really feel like three hours. Mm-hmm. It might have if I went to see it by myself, though. Yeah. But yeah, so I didn't feel the runtime all that much, which was nice. So I don't think I have anything else to say about this one, Janice. Perfect. So yeah, really great movie. Liked it a lot. Can't wait to see what we're going to do next, which is... Episode two, <laughs> Keep Your Hands Off Azalkin. Which who would have thought? <laughs> Shocker. We're going in order. Going in order. And then for the accompanying piece of media, I chose Akira, which is a movie. That you are going to tell me absolutely nothing about right now. That is exactly what I stopped myself from saying. So the only thing, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you anything about it at your request. Um, what I will say about it is that it was completely hand-drawn animation. Okay. So I would like you occasionally when you're just watching some of the things taking place before you to think about how real human beings did all of it by hand. And the episode that we're going to watch of Aizaken is going to help make that appreciable. And then like think about things like water and wind and timing and how all that has to work whenever you're literally doing everything by hand. More wind. People love wind. I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> so if you're still with us, Thanks for listening to this episode of In the Guidance of Geekdom. Uh, I had a lot of fun. How about you? I had fun. So if you want to watch this one with us so that you'll be ready for the next episode, uh, you won't regret it, probably. In the Guidance of Geekdom is a spinoff of Welcome to Geekdom by our host, Deanna Chapman. Check out her YouTube channel for more opinions on general geekery. Our intro and outro music is by Associations. Do yourself a favor and go to associations.bandcamp.com to listen to more of their stuff. For a multimedia experience with links and images, follow us on Twitter at geek underscore guidance.